Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. If you have your Bibles, let's go into the Word of the Lord today. Turn with me to the book of Acts, the 27th chapter. As you're turning, let me give you some quick background before we read our text. It's in Acts chapter 27 that details the story of Paul, who is a prisoner of the Roman Empire and has been placed on a ship destined to sail to Rome with 275 other captives. That's a boat ride I do not want to be on. We read it in Acts 27, verse 41 through 44. And falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out, say swim out, and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim, say swim again, should cast themselves first into the sea and get to the land, and the rest, some on the boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And it came, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to the land. In these verses, we see 276, 276 men went into the raging waters and 276 men all made it to shore safely. And it begs the question, why? And I'll simply tell you, because somebody taught them to swim. And I want to preach from this morning, this morning for a few moments. Teach them to swim. Would you pray with me for a few moments? Lord, I thank you for your presence that is here, God. I'm asking you to order and to direct the remainder of this service. Lord, let your anointing rest upon me, Lord, to preach to this great church and those watching, Lord, at home on the web or wherever. I pray, Lord, let your anointing rest upon us today as the body of Christ, that the will of God may be accomplished in this house, God. None of us are here by accident. Yes, we all woke up and made a mind up to go into the house of God, but it was by the grace and the goodness and the mercies and the drawing and the wooing of the power of God that has brought us here today, God. And I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. I thank you for what you're going to work and manifest in our lives. And if you believe that today, let's clap our hands one more time unto the Lord and thank him for his presence. Teach them to swim. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I personally cannot think of a more macabre or terrible way to die than drowning. 320,000 people every single year drown around the world. Children ages one to four have the highest mortality rate for drowning. Drowning is second only to heart uh, abnormalities in children as a cause of death around our globe. Owning a swimming pool is far more likely to cause the death of one of your children than by owning a weapon. 80% of all drowning victims around the world are boys. 
generations have been lost, ladies and gentlemen, and families from children who have succumbed to drowning. Let's talk about just for a moment some of the common causes of drowning. Number one, the uh, researchers will tell you it's because they are weak and non-existent uh, swimming skills are present in their life. In other words, simply they don't know how to swim, and it's really from a lack of intentional training. Number two, unsupervised swimming is a second reason why people are dying around the world, and it's simply because people are left on their own to work it out and to make it in the water. And third, not recognizing the signs of what a drowning victim looks like. Many lives are lost in plain sight of those who are simply oblivious to everything going on around them. But I am in this hour and I feel in the Holy Ghost, we cannot be a people, we cannot be a church that is oblivious to what is going on around us. I can't be caught up in the barbecue when little Susie or Johnny is in the backyard 15 feet away. I can't afford to let them go under because I'm busy with my life. I was blessed as a baby. My father had me in the water before very, very early on. I could literally swim before I could walk, Brother Carson, and I thank God for that. And because of that, to this day, I thoroughly enjoy being in the water and around the water, and I love to swim when the opportunity affords itself. But to my surprise and possibly to yours, the majority of our known world cannot swim without assistance. Over 60% of the world would drown if you put them in three feet of water or five feet of water, they would go under and they would be lost to eternity. Uh, watch it in Africa especially. It's around 75 to 80% of Africans cannot swim because it has not been taught. It has not been trained. They have not been equipped. And many of them, the majority of them live around lakes, rivers, and waters. Uh, I love to simply study the word of God. And I love in particular for me personally studying Jewish culture and Jewish customs and how they relate to the word of God. And recently I was studying the influence of fathers in the home. And again, particularly how the Jewish home operated, how fathers and their customs in those days in the ancient world related to the word of God and, and how it worked in their home. And it was interesting. The Jewish father I began to read was task. I began to read several rabbis, several Jewish authors, and they said in the ancient Jewish home, the father was tasked with the enormous responsibility that he alone must ensure that the viability of his children's future for the Jews to continue as a people the father must make sure that his children and their children's children are properly prepared in the customs and teaching of the nation. Otherwise, they could have a generation and a culture and a life that was lost. Four principles were taught for centuries from the Jewish fathers to their children. And the first one was they, had to, they were obligated to teach their children first and foremost the word of God. It was the father's responsibility to pour into his children the things of God. Secondly, they had to teach their son or their daughter a trade to make sure they were able to live a life and not be in poverty. Third, they had to facilitate the marriage of their children. This one would not work at all in 2023. <laughs> I think you're going to marry her, and I think you're going to marry him, and I'm putting it all together, and it's going to happen in six weeks. There would be a lot of people running. <laughs> Missing person list would grow weekly at Calvary. 
but they facilitated the marriage. Why? Because they wanted to make sure that the family was connected and the family was moving forward in a good way. And when I read the fourth thing that was put upon the fathers of the Jewish home, this responsibility absolutely blew me away. I understood that they've got to teach the word of God. I understand that they've got to oversee the marriage of their children in the ancient culture. I understand they've got to make sure the boy and the girl understands carpentry or they understand how to take care of tapestries or, or, or sewing or tailoring. They've got to be able to make a living. But when I read number four, I was not prepared for what has gone on for centuries in the Jewish culture. But they were forced and they were taught that fathers had the responsibility of teaching their children to swim. Many Bible scholars believe this teaching originated from the Jews being raised in proximity to water. It's in the Jewish nation, if the Jewish nation rather, is going to survive from generation to generation. Scholars said that they had to make sure that every single child lived and that none of them would die from drowning because they were not taught simply how to swim. Somebody say it with me today. We've got to teach them how to swim. Swimming is un and unique in that swimming is an individual action. You can train a child, but they can only swim for themselves. We must expect our children, once they have received some training, to begin to put it into action. And just like a swimming child, they will go in unfamiliar territory of the seas of life. But we must be confident in the training that we have instilled and poured into them. And when swimming, I promise you, they will eventually swim away from you and the shoreline. And they will be inside of you, but they will be out of your reach. And that is when all of us have that parental instinct that we want to get in the rowboat and get one foot away. And I'm going to make sure he's okay. I'm going to make sure she is okay. But in that moment, you've got to trust your training that you have poured into them because the swimmer will eventually come back to the shore again. If we are not careful, we can allow our schedules and our lives and even our cultures to mold and shape our children. It's amazing in the Malawian culture. I've watched this now for over 12 years. They have something in their culture and it's this. They will make sure if there are siblings in a family, let's say in my family, I only have one sister. My sister is more affluent than I am. She has a better job, better income. She's got two kids. I've got five. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. I'm a farmer and I really can't make it. You know what I, they will do in that culture? I will take three or four of my children and I will make sure they go live with my sister because she can provide for them in a better way, put them in better schools, better uh, environment. And you know what? That sounds good on paper, but the reality is it happens day in and day out in our culture. And you know what they will do? They will send them to a sister that is not apostolic a sister that is pagan, a sister that may even be the uh, uh, witch uh, worshiper. And you know what happens? They don't care and they just send them off because it's about status. It's about life. And I'm telling somebody today, we've got to be careful that we don't let anything slip into our lives, into our families. The most paramount thing in this hour that we've got to watch for as revival stands at the door is I've got to take care of home. I've got to take care of family. Nothing is more important. Investing in our children is our greatest resource for a healthy church today and for tomorrow. And let the church say amen. amen. 
We know it well in Deuteronomy 6 and 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go in to possess it. The Lord said, we're going in to possess some things, but you've got some commandments. Verse 2, that you might fear the Lord thy God and you will keep all of his statutes and commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son. It's not enough mother. It's not enough father. It's not enough just for us to know the things of God, but the Lord commanded that we have got to make sure we are investing in our children and our children's children daily, all the days of our life. And if you do this, the Lord said, and observe it, it will go well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord thy God of thy fathers has promised thee a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, might, and these things, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt what? Teach them diligently unto thy children and you are responsible to talk with them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when you lie down and when thou rise up basically every facet of your life mother and father we have been given an incumbent responsibility to make sure that we are pouring in to the next generation we're pouring into those that we rub shoulders with at work every day we've got to pour out what God has poured into us why were the waters of baptism troubled? Because somebody talked about the light. Somebody stepped out of their bounds, out of the four walls, and got the church outside of the building. What was the word of God telling us? It was saying, teach them to swim. It's paramount that we as parents, and in particular fathers, train and invest in our children. They are the next generation. Again, we've got to teach them to swim. It's in Ephesians 6 and 4. The word of God says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up, train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's in 1 Timothy 3 and 5. The Bible says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he then take care of the church of God. When we look at that word rule, it's easy to begin to think that it is being domineering and I am the king of the castle and you are my servants. And that's not exactly even remotely close to what the word of God is teaching us. The word rule there means to be a protector and a guardian. Paul was telling Timothy, for if a man knows not how to guard and to protect his own house, he has no business taking care of other souls around him. In other words, fathers, we must be the watchmen on the wall, protectors of the family. I know we don't want to get in their business, but we've got to get in their business. They've got to know how to swim. They've got to know how to survive the torrents of life. They've got to know how to make it when the beat of the music stops and the environment changes and they're all alone. They've got to be able to click their heels together, square their shoulders and say, I know how to swim. Study it out, watchmen on the wall in the Old Testament. If an enemy came in and they failed to sound the alarm, you and your family were executed. Too many of us hold our peace 
and say they'll figure it out. They've got it together. We walk by people in Walmart and say they'll figure it out. We walk by the hurting and the broken and the bruised that we've seen this church reaching out for today so beautifully over the weekend. But it's easy to get comfortable in the confines of our religion. I've got to be a protector. I've got to be a guardian. Paul said it this way, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. When we study that out and say followers, we think it's nonchalant. We think it's just lackadaisical. I'll follow him as he follows Christ. But that's not what Paul was saying. Never make any mistakes about it. Ladies and gentlemen, every single word in the Holy Writ was put there by the inspiration of a holy God. And none of it is just Passover one. Followers, it is the Greek word enunciated mimetes. It means to get the word. We get our word for the word mimic from it. Paul did not say, I am just following behind the Christ and you follow behind me, but rather I am mimicking Christ. I am copying every single thing he does. And if you will copy exactly what I do, we are going to make it from this place called life into eternity one day. It's not enough just to follow. Peter followed from afar and denied the Lord. There's got to be something in us. We've got to be that little annoying niece or nephew that copies everything you do. Maybe you were that niece or nephew at the Christmas party as a kid, copying. And what, what, what do the parents, what do the uncles and aunts, stop copying me. Stop copying me. Sit down, sit down. Go to your mother. Go to your mother. <laughs> stop it. Okay, stop it. There's something powerful about mimicking. Paul was letting us know if we can do that. He said, that's what I'm doing. I'm not casually following Christ, but I am detailed. My eyes are set upon the, the, the nail-scarred hands. My eyes are upon that bronze Galilee, and my eyes are upon the author and the finisher, and I am marking every step every day, and you've got to follow me. You've got to mimic me as I mimic the Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget our children are watching, new converts are watching, co-workers are watching, students are watching. When we look deeper into the culture of the Bible, we see that the American society, and there is no other country in the world like America, and we are blessed to live in the United States of America. And it's all right to clap our hands. That's not arrogance, that's blessing. But the American culture has drastically changed the way the family structure was designed to operate according to the word of God. It's interesting that Jewish men in the Bible were expected to be the head of their household. They were placed in this role by God, not by man, to lead their wives, lead their children, and to ensure that everyone led a devout life holy unto God. In order to do this, Jewish men were supposed to spend all, if not the majority of their time, studying the word of God and other religious texts in order to portray a righteous life before God and before their families. And they were fulfilling Deuteronomy 6 and 7 that was in your hearing moments ago that thou shalt talk of the word of God when you sit in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're laying down and when you're rising up. Ideally in the Jewish culture, a husband's primary role in his family would be that of a Bible scholar and the wife fiscally supported the husband. Now, some of you are saying, I am becoming Jewish. <laughs> and wives are saying, get a job. <laughs> but it's interesting. The focus was on the family. It's interesting 
that, uh, that when you read about the, the virtuous woman and you begin to see how she goes out and sells and she's laboring and she's working, it's, it's a contrast sometimes in the culture and we begin to see, wait a minute, what is she doing all that for? Why? Because she is supporting the household. She's making sure he's not in the farm all day so he can be in the word all day because he's got to pour in to our children. He's got to pour in to us. And, I, and we understand, even it did in that day, a woman one income family was not viable. It only happened in the upper classes, even in the Jewish society. And the vast majority of the Jews were not able to actualize this idea. But although men still strive to study religion and study the word of God, because they understood I've got to make family decisions. And in this day and hour, family decisions require the faith of God living and operating in our lives. In our modern American culture, if I could be bold enough to say we have placed being the breadwinner over sharing the bread of life with our families. Let me say it again. I'm sorry, sir, that job is not worth the soul of your boy or your girl. Nothing in this world... If I see millions in Africa come to the Lord, but that boy and that girl watching online is not saved, this man standing here has failed. I will be able to rejoice in heaven one day, but only when I know my family is there. Nothing's more paramount than your wife, sir. Nothing's more paramount than that boy or that girl. It's put upon us in the word of God. You've got to diligently, arduously train and equip and pour into them. You've got to teach them to swim. Dad, you have a powerful, powerful voice in the life of your family. But according to LifeWay Research Group, the most attended church service of the year in order, number one, what's the most attended church service in the world? What is it? Christmas. Some of you were right. Now the rest of you will be right. Number two, Easter. What is the third most attended evangelical church service of the year? What? Heard someone say Mother's Day. You are right. In contrast, the least top four attended services. Number four is 4th of July. We got golf and we've got brats. Jesus can wait till next Sunday. Number three, Memorial Day. Number two, Labor Day, least attended. And the number one least attended church service across the evangelical world is Father's Day. It's the least. And I'm not crying because it's, I'm a father. <laughs> I'm crying because of what it shouts so loudly. So Mother's Day is the most highly, one of the top three attended services of the world. Father's Day is the absolute lowest. What's it telling us, church? It tells us the role of the father as a spiritual leader in our modern day. Society has been dismissed and relegated to the Sunday school department or the youth pastor and to their team. As apostolics, we cannot let that happen. We, you, I, we've got to teach them to swim. I thank God for youth pastors. I used to be one. I'll never forget the first meeting I had with all the parents, me and Penny. I looked at them and, and it caused a riff. I ended up getting called in the office over it. 
I said, don't expect me to turn your little demons into angels in 45 minutes once a week. It will not happen when you let them be involved all week long in perverse, wicked, unsupervised activity. When they never hear a prayer except in the house of God, and it's not you, it's somebody else. When they only hear the word of God preached by the pastor and never in the house of God, never in their home. When they can listen to whatever they want to go, wherever they want to, as long as they're not in trouble. As long as the authorities are not involved, it's all good. It's not all good. Revival begins always in the home. And we've got to teach them to swim. Dad, your fathers need your voice loud and clear, telling them, proclaiming to them that the kingdom of God is the most important thing in the world. Dad, let me take the pressure off of you. You don't have to have a doctrine in theology. But if you can teach your kids every single name of every single player on the Indianapolis Colts football team, then you've got the ability to sit down and tell them there is no one like Jesus. If you can teach that boy how to shoot a jump shot, if you can lay drywall, if you can take an engine apart and put it back together, if you can do calculus, if you can program a computer, if you have the ability to balance a spreadsheet, sir, then dad, your greatest gift is being a voice that refuses to be silent. Use it, use it, use your voice. I don't have a car here. I got an airplane and it's not mine. It's Delta's. Got picked up at the airport by my son in a Chevy Traverse. You know why? Because Gibbses drive General Motors products. There are no Fords at the Gibbs household. I would not be caught dead in one. But I drive a Toyota in Malawi. That's all we got. If you drive a Ford, I don't even want to shake your hand. I'm joking. I've actually owned a Ford Ranger, and it was a great truck. Do you know why? <laughs> you a GM man? Stirred a pot now. Sorry, Pastor. There's <laughs> going to be a board meeting over this, Lord. <laughs> but the reality is, I don't know what a Ford or Chevy is, the difference. No more than I know Ohio State and Michigan growing up. Lakers and Celtics, no clue. But you know why? Because the voice of Gerald David Gibbs wasn't ugly, wasn't forced. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. I live in torment. You know why? Because when they came into the league 61 years ago, my dad chose them as his team. Thank you for that. Zero Super Bowls. Glad I live overseas so I don't have to watch the mess. But I'm that way because of his voice. 
There wasn't even training. There wasn't even indoctrination setting down saying, here's the difference in this engine. Here's the difference in that one. This is why we are G. No, it was just, that's what was around us. That was made obvious. And you know what? That is put inside of us. I'm telling you, dad, all you've got to do is begin to share with them. He is the greatest thing that happened to me and your mother. I don't understand it all. Son, let the doctors and the professors at Bible school pour it into you. Let them pour a little bit more into you. But I'm telling you, I've got to put in you that he got hold of me. He transformed my life. He turned my world upside down. And there is nothing more important than Jesus Christ. I played football 10 years. I had aspirations for college and professional. Some of those I knew made it to those levels. And I can tell you the honest truth, in 10 years of football, my dad made it to two practices and zero games. Don't feel sorry for me. He was a salesman. He's a workaholic. Worked on Sundays, but in between services. Number one salesman in the company told him, I'm not working unless I set my own hours on Sunday. Brother Carson, I have to be honest, being 18, 19, 20, when I walked away from football, the enemy would be in my voice saying, Dad never made it to a single game. Never seen you sack the quarterback. Never seen you have a wonderful environment to, to just take control of in the situation. Never made it. And I have to be honest, I was a little frustrated. Bitterness was trying to creep in, but I didn't let it. Thank God, God didn't let it. One day I remember thinking, Dad never preached a sermon never stood behind the pulpit in a church. He taught uh, Sunday school and he taught to the young adults and young marrieds. And every time a young girl would come into the house of my older sister, within 10 minutes, he was telling her about Jesus. And we'd be eating pizza and tears would begin to flow and hands would begin to shake. And they'd say, Mr. Gibbs, what is this I feel in the room? What, what, what are you, how, how do I feel tingles all over me? And that was my first exposure to the anointing. And that's what Brother Carson made me want the things of God more than anything. And I thought about it. Dad drove 125 miles every Sunday for 25 years. Dropping us off at church, going with us, eating a sandwich on the way back from Lancaster, back to Reynoldsburg, from Reynoldsburg up to Morris Road in Columbus, Ohio, 125 miles round trip. We showed up at the house right in time to leave for church. He's eating another sandwich in the car on the way back. We never missed a Sunday morning or Sunday night in 25 years. And I look back and I say, Dad, I thank you for not making it to one of those games, but you got me into the house of God. You got me into the presence of God. You got me into an environment that changed my life forever. Dad, consistency is powerful. Teach him to swim. Abraham Lincoln is one of my favorite historical figures. I'm hurrying on a day as Lincoln was being questioned by several reporters from a newspaper. They were being chippy and snarky, and as they do, it hasn't changed in 200 years. One of those men spoke up and said, Mr. Lincoln, we, we hear you got aspirations now for, for politics, and, and we know your history. Your dad was a farmer. Didn't he teach you how to farm? Is that why you're pursuing politics now? Because you are ignorant about farming? A great question to ask a presidential candidate. <laughs> People are crazy. Mr. Lincoln's response was so powerful. And it's so true in our world now as it was in his world then. 
Lincoln said, I know and I understand farming very, very well. He said, my father taught me how to be a farmer, but he did not teach me how to love it. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't just teach them to be Pentecostal. We got to teach them to love it. We cannot become professional Pentecostals where we know how to sing it just right. And we know the right place for the inflection of our voice to change, to make the sermon really pop. We can't check off all of the spiritual boxes of Pentecostal protocols and at the same time keep everybody thinking that everything's okay and the reality is it's not okay. I do not. I rather, let me say it this way emphatically, I refuse to go through the motions of religion when I know what I've got to do, but I do not want to lose my first love in the process of just being in these things. Because my kids are watching, souls are watching. I must, you must, we must teach them to swim. Instruction cannot replace intimacy. Lessons cannot replace love for the things of God. Technique cannot replace touch. You must get in the water with them if you're going to teach them to swim. You can't teach from the sidelines. You can't impart from the bench. We've got to be active. We've got to go into their lives. Your touch, your embrace, your vulnerability, mother, father, friend, pastor, it doesn't matter. Give strength and confidence to your children and to your family that I am not alone. I have a spiritual lifeguard on duty. I, I don't watch or look at Facebook much. My wife handles that department. She keeps me updated when you have a birthday. Not that I don't care. I just, there's too much rhetoric there for me. There was a meme came out several years ago of an Olympic swimmer and a lifeguard. The picture shows a male Olympic swimmer sitting by the pool, putting on his goggles, preparing to enter the water for a race. And just over his shoulder in the background, there's a young lady there. She is carrying a lifeguard flotation device. She is wearing a red cross hat. She's got the, the lanyard with the name tag. She is a professional and she is trained to save people that are drowning. And what made this so incredibly funny to me is that she is sitting down right behind him with her hands pressed into her cheeks like this. She looks so depressed. She looks so with disdain and frustration. This is a complete waste of my day. And then the meme makes this statement. If you ever feel useless, just remember that someone is a lifeguard at an Olympic swimming event. <laughs> she knows I'm not getting in the water to save anybody. If anybody's getting saved, it's these men and women. But the reality is in the kingdom of God, we are not raising Olympic swimmers, Calvary. 
who will compete for bronze, silver, even maybe gold medals, but they are contending for a crown of glory that shall not fade away. Our children and those we are mentoring in the kingdom do not have the luxury of swimming in multi-million dollar pools that are heated to the exact temperature for optimum performance with every aspect of the environment is specifically controlled to allow the swimmer every opportunity for success. But allow me, if you will, to remind us today that the Olympic swimming pool, there are no waves in that pool. There are no adversities in that pool. There are no spiritual tsunamis that rise up out of the deep when you think everything is going well. Nothing's lurking under the surface. They've got million dollars of LED lights to illuminate the pool. They never have to look down in the water and say, am I alone? Ever been in a dark, murky water? I lived in Louisiana for a year one time preparing to go to Africa. You live in Louisiana to go prepare for Africa. That's what happens. People in Louisiana are crazy. Let's go water skiing. Where are we going? Mermontal River, 50 miles from the Gulf. Okay, sounds great. We show up. Cypress trees are everywhere. The river's no wider than from here to the exit door. I'm thinking, how are we going to water ski on this? Walk up to the dock. The water is pitch black, and it's not oil. You put your hand an inch under the water, and you cannot see your hand. And while I'm walking to the dock to go to the boat, I see a six-foot water moccasin swim right on by and said, Jesus' name. And they proclaimed to tell me, yeah, if you fall off, just stay close. We'll come back and get you because sometimes the gators come off and will cruise towards you. I said, why am I signed up for this? This is ignorant. I'll never make it to Africa. Forget crocodiles and forget plagues in Egypt. This is worse. <laughs> Don't want to be in that environment. But a problem is when you get in that dark water, there is no illumination. Your imagination begins to talk to you. And your imagination will win every single time. <laughs> You're the same people that pull open the shower curtain and close it back. No one's there. Hallelujah. <laughs> We've got people here today that you may feel like you're swimming in the night and you can't differentiate the blackness above from below. But just like Jesus, when he asked Simon Peter to step out of that boat onto the water, it's not long that he begins to fade and begins to sink. But what I love about that story, and it's often overlooked, is that Jesus Christ was so close to Simon Peter that all he had to do was reach out his hand and pick him up out of the sinking water and place him back in the boat. There are people here today, I want you to know the hand of the master is reaching for you. He is here. Someone may be drowning in sin. Someone may be drowning in failures, drowning in fear, unbelief. Possibly the tides of mediocrity are washing over your life, telling you that this is your lot in life and you were destined to be average. And I rise up in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Ghost to remind somebody here today that you were not designed for mediocrity. Somebody should stand to their feet right now and begin to clap their hands unto the Lord and begin to proclaim before heaven and hell and all in this earth that I was designed for greater things. The enemy fears you because you were brave enough to step into the water. 
and the courage to keep swimming against all odds. No matter what you are facing, sir, keep on swimming. No matter what perplexities come into your life, ma'am, keep on swimming. Student, whatever comes and knocks on your door, keep on swimming. If you musicians would like to come, please remain standing. I will be finishing quickly. We must in this last day before the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ be intentional that we teach our children, our families, our friends, new converts, that you were not designed to be a professional Pentecostal, but rather you were handcrafted by the creator of the universe to rise above the waters. It is in you. The ability to swim, it's in you already. It's in your DNA. You got foolish people that do what happened to my wife, throw her in as a child and say, you'll make it or break it. And you know what? You can't get my water in a foot of water to this day of the fear and anxiety of almost drowning. It's not what you do. It's patience, but it's in us. You were designed, ladies and gentlemen, to swim above the fray of this world. Every single one of us under the sound of my voice in this beautiful sanctuary for the first nine months of your life, you were swimming in amniotic fluid in your mother's womb, inhaling the fluid, exhaling the fluid effortlessly. Amniotic fluid allows your lungs to grow and develop. The fluid enables your digestive system to mature because of a constant flow of the fluid throughout your body. Your muscles and your bones develop because you can move around with ease in the water. As I have grown older, so have my joints. <laughs> and my mobility has diminished some. I can't jump like I used to. I look at a rim now at a basketball court and say, enjoy. <laughs> Years ago, it was like, I am putting it down. Brother Carson, I can see things on a basketball court, and I know how the play's developing before it develops, and I know I'm supposed to be there, and in my mind, I am, and I look back, and I'm eight feet away, <laughs> and I'm going, this is so wrong. Where's advanced auto parts for new ones for me? But you put me in the water, all 300, and don't worry about the pounds, Chris Gibbs. Basketball court, sometimes I don't have the dexterity I used to. Can't dominate a game like I used to. But you put me in the water, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I can move fast. I am elusive. I am agile and my dexterity comes back. I can move with ease so readily in the water. I can roll over. I can stay under for a minute, minute and a half still without coming up. I love the water. It's like second nature because that's where I was born in the beginning was in the water. And it's no accident. Jesus told Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Ladies, and gentlemen, it is time to swim. Let's make new commitments to teaching our families to swim. Let's make new commitments to reach our co-workers and those around us, our classmates, our extended family. Do you know how to swim? Let's not be intimidated to ask the question. It's beautiful what happened in the town square over the weekend. Because somebody took the time to say, do you know how to swim? And a lot of people said, I don't. 
I need help. Some of you may be in this room today or watching online. It doesn't matter today in this place. There is a clarion call from heaven that is drawing us forward and saying we've got to pour in to the next generation. And if your kids are gone, sir, and they're out of the house, ma'am, it's no time to look back. It's time to look forward. Find another young man. Find another young girl and pour into them. Encourage them. Pat them on the back and say there's no one like Jesus. And I promise you, you were made to swim. Are you drowning in the waters of life? Jesus has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I'm asking you to step out from where you are and begin to walk your way down to this altar if you would be so kind. And you're stepping out. May say I'm drowning. For others, it may say, Lord, give me a soul to teach. Give me someone to pour into. Lord, let me show them what I know. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. Once you learn how to swim, you never forget it. And an 80-year-old can train just as well as an 8-year-old because you know exactly what's in the water and you know how to do it. But the glaring reality is you cannot train someone to swim without water. You can't do it just in theory. You can't do it just by talking about it. You've got to get into the water. What are you doing? You're stepping out and coming into the water. I'm going back to where it all started. I'm in that fluid that gives me strength. I'm in that presence that lifts me up. I'm in that environment where I can rise and I can walk and I can run. I'm in that environment where I am light. I'm in that environment where I can move. There's something powerful about the water, something powerful about the river. It's a river of unity. You take a thousand leaves and throw them on top of the water. Every one of them separate and indiscriminate will all find their way to the same place. Why? Because the river's flowing. Let's lift our voices right now. And if you are here and you are an altar worker or you are someone that is here in the ministry, look around at the barbecue, if you will, and see, is there anybody around me that's in the water that looks a little uneasy or that maybe isn't doing it just right? I'm a little fearful about their capacity to make it if I'm gone. I'm telling you, we've got to reach around us and reach before us and behind us. Those prodigals are coming home, but we've got to make sure the water's ready. They're going to sing, but let's lift our voices right now. Let's begin to cry out to the Creator. Let's begin to talk to Him. God, teach me to swim. Teach me, God, how to arise above the fray. Teach me, God, how to instruct and to mentor and to love and to pour out around me, God. Oh, lift your voice right now. Lift your voice right now. Father, make that new commitment. Mother, make that new commitment. Older sibling, make that commitment. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to pour into them. I'm going to instruct them with love. I'm going to remove the fear. I'm going to separate you from the anxiety of the water. But I am going to show you that in that water, there is life and life more abundantly in the kingdom. We are here for such a time as this.